welcome to the podcast, Dr. Madeline. I'm so excited to have you here, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you and I met, at, we had our mental health fair, mm-hmm. and you were just this ray of sunshine everywhere around. I was like, oh, I want to know you. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to come in and kind of talk about the things that you're passionate about and some things that you can help our listeners uh, kind of take away. And one of the things I wanted to start about is you um, – kind of speak to this idea of self-love and having self-compassion. And I think that sometimes those of us that are not in the therapy world don't understand the difference. Talk about that. Okay. Yeah, so um, for somebody who's not in the therapy world, I'll put it to you this way. Um, So self-love is really liking who you are, Mm -hmm. right? And um, self and and accepting that and learning Mm -hmm. to do that, right? And self-compassion is holding yourself with love, right? Mm -hmm. So self-love would be understanding yourself, getting to know yourself and saying, hey, I like who I am and I know I'm learning to know who I am, right? And self-compassion is, and it's okay if I flub it up sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? And so holding yourself with love and compassion are two different things. So I would say compassion is more of the action, Mm, okay, right? Um, so I'm going to, I love myself so much that I'm going to be gentle with myself. Mm -hmm. I tell a lot of people that I work with to practice being gentle Mm -hmm. and they're like, I don't even know what that looks like. Right. Yeah. What what do you mean? I'm like, okay, well, let's unpack that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a good question. Um, and I realize that that question, that, that isn't even discussed, right? Like when we go to school, we talk about a lot of things, but we don't talk about holding ourselves with compassion. Yeah. We talk about meeting the grade Mm -hmm. or meeting the expectations of, our parents or our teachers. And so um, holding yourself with love and compassion is saying, hey, I love myself. I, I accept who I am. I may not be perfect. And I hold myself with compassion in regards to my imperfections, right? So um, we're not always going to get it right. Right. And it's, I think compassion builds resilience, mm. right? So if things come up that... Um, sort of knock you down as yeah. life does yeah. as you get older, right? Um, it's holding yourself with compassion and saying, hey, you know what? It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to beat myself up over this. Mm-hmm. I love myself too much to go down the rabbit hole, as mm-hmm. I call it, right? Mm-hmm. So I see it as sort of a partnership with mm-hmm. love and compassion. So we would be doing these simultaneously in an ideal world. It's not one or the other. It's not just hey, I'm going to give myself a break, I didn't do this well, and then still tell ourselves that we're not enough, right? We can't bounce back and forth between the two. Yeah, they they ideally would happen simultaneously, right? But there's a lot of uh, popularity around, oh, love yourself, just love yourself. But part of loving yourself is also holding yourself accountable. Mm, okay, good. Right? I love that. Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, so... When you love yourself, you hold yourself. We're talking about expectations and standards. Mm-hmm. We hold ourselves to certain expectations and certain standards, right? I love myself too much to do this or that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sometimes it's hard things. So I can use a really easy example of um, diet change. You know, as people get older, they maybe their doctor, doctor might tell you, it's like you need to change your diet, mm-hmm. X, Y, meat, whatever. Um, and sometimes holding yourself accountable saying, you know, I really love how I feel with um, eating meat mm. but or red meat, and but I'm going to hold myself accountable because I, I love myself enough to know that, like, it's going to 
hurt my body, mm. right? So it's, um, I think the word love can be thrown around um, and misunderstood, but it's such a complicated, complex thing. Right. I mean, you work with couples, so yeah. the word love can mean a thousand different yeah. things to a different person. Yeah. But self-love, I think, is just a mixture of compassion, mm. right, um, accountability, acceptance, right, of, of, all of, our, of all of you, of your flaws, mm. and not the ideal version, right? It's to love yourself when you're not this ideal version of yourself. Mm. How do you know that you're slipping out of self-compassion or self-love? Is there red flags or things that we can, like, start to internally monitor that's like, oh, you're getting off course? Yeah, you know what? Um, I'm really glad you brought this up because something that I talk about with the people that I work with are um, what I call, I use a, like a metaphor, the analogy of a, a car. Mm. So old cars used to go in for oil change. You used to be able to do your own oil changes, right? Now it's more complicated. But um, I would say that it's really hard to, it's, there's a, a gap between um, when you're feeling fine and when you're not, and your car breaks down, right? Mm. You can't go from zero to 60 without going to all the numbers in between. Okay. And so part of what you're talking about is, I think it's more of like the warning signs. Uh-huh. Like the sputtering at the stop sign, or yeah. they're like, it's taking longer to start the car up in the morning, or there's like a sputtering happening in the... It feels different, yeah. right? So I think that's what it looks like. It's when it starts to feel differently for you. A lot of what I work with is around um, mindfulness and personal awareness. Mm. So learning to understand yourself. Like when you have a car, I just bought a new one recently, and... You know, it took a while for it to feel for me to feel comfortable with it, and eventually, cars I realized become kind of an extension of you uh-huh. when you're driving. That's why parallel parkers are so good because it's like they know <laughs> we're in my groove exactly, right? <laughs> like they know how far, how like long their car extends and mm. all that. It took me a while to I figure like that, that analogy. Uh huh. Yeah, um, and so I see it as more of like, okay, how do I know? How do I get to know myself enough to know when I start to slip? Mm. And it can like apply to anything outside of love, yeah, or like anxiety or stress it's you know when do I start to experience the puttering when does my car take a little bit too long when is it making weird Mm. sounds right so for yourself it's you know I always use the example of um, some people who wear makeup like when they don't feel well they wear more makeup ah versus wearing less right Mm -hmm. the expectation is like you might look like they do in the movies like less Mm -hmm. um, put together but some people dress up more Others to change that mental image. Right. right. Or, or to not let people see how they feel on the inside, mm-hmm. right? Like to mask it, mm-hmm. right? I need to put more makeup on so people don't have to see how I feel that's so accommodating. And it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that I like to use is like, yeah, you can shower every single day. Like let's say your routine is a shower every day, and all of a sudden you start to shower every other day. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not sneaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you don't, nobody notices, but you notice. Those are the warning signs. It hasn't negatively impacted your life. But if you keep going down, if you keep driving with a check engine light, eventually. So it sounds like you're saying that we make choices, not because we're broken or because we don't love ourselves, but we, that is a red, like, because I can imagine that I'm in my car and it's made a couple of noises and I'm like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. And then like the next day it makes another noise. I'm like, it's going to take a lot. I'm going to have to go to like take time off of work and it's going to be inconvenient. And I don't know if I have the money for it and I just don't want to deal with it. So let me pretend it's not happening. Mm -hmm. Right. That's 
when I'm pretending or I'm avoiding or I'm not dealing with something when I know it's a red flag and I minimize it to a yellow flag, is that something that I can be internally aware of? Yeah. I mean, some of it can be a choice and some of it's like you don't even know until uh, you, you know, you're on the side of the road uh-huh. and you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's what that meant, right? Is that because I'm not in touch with myself? Uh, I think it's that, yes, you're not in touch with yourself. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's more of no one's taught you how to get in touch with yourself. I like that. So it's more of I'm getting to know myself, right? Part of, again, self-love is really getting to know who you are, right? So how can you really accept yourself if you don't really know, like, the things that make you tick, right? Um, And this can be connected to so many other things in our lives, right? Beyond mental health, it can be about spiritual health or our our physical health, right? It's the small things that change it, right? So, um, you know, when you eat certain foods, maybe you'll have more brain fog, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. it's just understanding yourself enough or learning to understand yourself enough to say, okay, these small changes actually might mean something Mm. accumulated. And I like that plays into that part about self-compassion that you were talking about because instead of immediately going, oh, I screwed up again. Here I am on the side of the road. I should have known better. And then just get into this cycle rabbit hole of beating yourself up. The self-compassionate part would be, okay, I've never been here before. I never had this kind of car. I'm not familiar with how it, like... may have manifested on me ending up on the side of the road, but I can't stay here. I have to take now accountability for how am I going to move forward, now knowing it, gathering tools, being compassionate with myself so that I don't keep repeating the same old patterns. Right, and just being curious, Mm -hmm. like, huh, I wonder what that meant, or I wonder what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Something feels off. doesn't have to necessarily mean bad. Mm -hmm. It could just mean that something um, uncomfortable, right? And as we know, discomfort doesn't equal bad. Discomfort just means discomfort. Yeah. And um, it's say that again because I don't think that everybody knows what you just said and takes it to heart. Right. So discomfort does not mean something is bad. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily your intuitive um, spidey sense saying something that is bad is happening or you're in danger. It mm-hmm. just means that you're uncomfortable. Yeah. It means you're outside of your um, comfort zone, and that's okay. I think it's learning, and this is where, like, that insight and the mindfulness and, like, uh, someone coined it. uh, I worked with this person at a workshop, and I asked if her permission to say this, but she she kind of said it was sort of like a personal user's manual, Mm -hmm. like how to get to know yourself enough to know these, like, changes that happen. But, um, yeah, absolutely. I think to go back to the car um, analogy, you know, when I got my car, I didn't know had a pair, I mean, I always, I've known how to parallel park, I've lived in lots of big cities, and with this car, I didn't know how to do it, mm. and I, like, would drive around the block, drive around the block, and try to find, like, the biggest spot. Sure, so to pull into, and then back up in. Right, <laughs> and then eventually, I had to, like, try different things, and get uncomfortable, and, like, and for me, it's, you know, trying to parallel park in front of a crowd, mm. or, like, people who are, um, you know, on the sidewalk, or on the tables, I'm going to try it and like if I fit or not and like you know I think part of it is doing things that make you slightly uncomfortable like seek those out like seek those out and but it's all you know talk about Vygotsky and like the zone of proximal development Mm -hmm. and so I uh, the whole theory is simplified is that um, we all have this zone of development right so there's a zone of like safety where you're not necessarily growing but you feel really good right and then there's this zone at the opposite end 
where it's um, so challenging that it's beyond your reach, that it could be discouraging, mm-hmm. right? So then you walk away from it, right? So there's that zone in between where you just know enough to continue moving forward, but you don't know it all, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you are developing as you drill. It's sort of this idea of like you have some of the blocks, but you can build the other ones as you mm-hmm. get there, right? So that's the zone that you want to be in. That includes discomfort. And so if you think about anybody who achieves anything, there is always discomfort there. And like learning to become more acquainted with the idea that discomfort doesn't mean that you're in a bad place. Mm-hmm. It just means that you may be growing. But if you feel like you are beyond your skill level, then that's when you call in help and support. It doesn't mean that you just stop. Mm-hmm. What would help and support look like if we keep falling into these traps and we just, like, this is just too hard, I don't want to do hard things? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a big proponent for community care and su- community support. Mm. So I think that finding your community, and people use that word as if they're, like, waiting around around the corner. It's actually really <laughs> Here hard. Here I am. Come right. in. Like, come, welcome. <laughs> um, it's hard to cultivate. Um, and I think that with uh, post-COVID, I mean, which we still have COVID, but you know, now that we're out and in the community, I think people are relating to each other differently too, mm. right? Um, I think those years in isolation, for the most part, uh, people are more anxious and a little bit more socially awkward, and I, I find that fun, <laughs> to be honest. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let me learn more about you. Um, like what drives that or what the fears are or what's the story that's happening for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like those lead to diff- um, deeper conversations, but I digress. Um, wh- what was your question? We were just talking about like creating community and how oh, it's yeah. not waiting around the corner. And if you find yourself sort of like continually avoiding putting yourself out there or avoiding feeling discomfort, that's a temporary fix for a long-term problem because you're not going to grow then right Mm -hmm. and so you're suggesting that if we want to build upon this and find a safety net so that we can attempt to grow yes then we have to cultivate a community right so there are so many spaces to find community and it's it's an investment so Mm -hmm. it's part of a so you're building a relationship Mm -hmm. right um just not romantic maybe you might find a romantic partner there but Mm -hmm. That's not the goal purpose. is to have a relationship with yourself and yeah. an extended support group. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we find those spaces when we do things that are related to who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's we can all go to um, a baking class. Right. But some people will be more invested than others. Right. And more engaged and more interested naturally. Mm-hmm. So I think that people who are looking for a community, I would say, start with learning about what makes you excited mm. and getting engaged in those types of activities. I mean, you could, you know, if someone says, hey, try out soccer, but you really don't care for it. Mm-hmm. You could do it. You can go through the motions. Right. But I doubt you'll really develop some connections. Like, you may. Your heart's not in it. But your heart's not in it, yeah. right? Like, you may not feel the extra motivation to go out and do the extra um, trainings, mm-hmm. right? So finding something that interests you and then finding community mm-hmm. and slowly getting to know the community, right? The, the expectation isn't that they have to join, like bring you in. Mm-hmm. It's understanding that they are feeling you out just as much as you're feeling them out. And so how do you develop a relationship with them where it's reciprocal? Mm-hmm. I think reciprocal relationships are really important where you can give as much as you receive. 
What would you say for those that might be listening or watching when you have a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. that's impacting your self-love, self-compassion? How do we know that we need to make changes or that that's impacting us in some way that's not necessarily helpful? Can you you ask that? Yeah, so if I'm in a relationship and I want to cultivate more self-love and more self-compassion, and I keep making my partner responsible for that instead mm-hmm. of taking it on myself. Where, what are the pitfalls with that? Well, I think part of it is the person in question starting to work on it themselves, right? It's like separate from their partner. I think part of, um, in my opinion, part of what really makes relationships work is a really good relationship with ourselves, right? can only meet somebody as far as you've met yourself. And you've heard that. Um, and I, part of self-love and self-compassion is if you can hold that for yourself, then you, by extension, can hold that for your partner. Mm. Right? Um, for a lot of people, when you can't do that for yourself, whether it be upbringing or circumstance or whatever, and you don't even know you're doing it, right? Like when people are hard on themselves. Mm. I used to be really hard on myself when I was young, right? Um, part of that is learning to develop that compassion then by extension you become more compassionate to other people because mm. it's no longer I have to deal with it everybody has to deal with it right mm-hmm. so it's like oh no like I can hold myself with this self-love and compassion and say like hey it's okay that I'm going through this but not everybody has to suffer with me oh right I like that yeah and so how do I take care of myself so that I can be the person that I want to be for the people around mm-hmm. me right and that can relationships mm-hmm. friendships mm-hmm. And I think that's where personal accountability comes through, right? Mm. It's how to... I'm not responding to this situation in a way that's in alignment with my ideals or my character. So I need to possibly shut out some of their needs and get a little bit more self-compassionate because if I don't get my stuff tight, I'm not going to be able to be there for the rest. Right. It's sort of... Have you ever been in a heated argument? You just need a break? Yeah. It's like that. It's just like, I just need a break. Mm. I want to take a step back evaluate where I'm at and rejoin when I'm ready, right? It doesn't have to be all or nothing, Mm -hmm. right? It's not like I have to take a break for six months in meditation. It's just (laughs) more of I just want to take a step back and make sure that I'm like you said, I'm being the person that I want to be for the other people that I care for, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the person I want to be for for myself. Like taking that extra time for yourself. A lot of people think that self-love or self-care is selfish, Mm -hmm. right? I should be there for my kids. I should be the best soccer mom. I should be making cookies. I should be, like, making their Halloween costume. Even though I'm exhausted, I'm supposed to set that stuff of my mental load aside because I need to be there for someone else or I'm being selfish. Right. But when you shut it down, you shut out so much more than you think, mm-hmm. right? So if you, for a lot of um, people, uh, especially within, like, black and brown community, like, the idea is like, okay, I'm just going to like deal with it later. Mm. And, um, you know, when does later come? Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I think about, you know, within these spaces, it's um, at some point it's going to come. And I always tell people, like, either you decide when you're going to deal with it or it will decide for you. Mm. Right. And it, and this is kind of where like this idea of like generational trauma happens and, and generational wounds. Mm. Right. So it's like this not knowing how to cope not knowing how to deal with things. It's 
like, oh, I'm just going to shut it up. It's so much easier. I can get things done, right? But that doesn't include the emotional thing. Yeah. So when you cut off the emotions, then that's, for me, in my opinion, that's where a lot of the connection comes from. Right. Because then you're having to just numb out. And so you're not going to feel either the high, you're not going to feel the lows anymore, but you're not going to feel the highs. So you're just sort of autopiloting through your life. Yeah. So a lot of work that I've done with my clients is how do you connect back to that? Mm. And how do you do it in a way that feels safe? Because mm. for a lot of people, it feels like you're opening Pandora's box. And for some, it, that may feel like that, yeah. right? So how do we do it? I, I use the analogy of like a bottle pop. Mm. Okay. And so it's like a you shake it and you shake it and you shake it and you just gotta like let the pressure out just a little bit. Yeah. And it, you'll pop the top off yeah. and just let it all come out. Because so that's the fear is we're gonna explode. We're not gonna know how to put ourselves back together and then we're just gonna be walking around as like an open wound until God knows when. Yeah, flooding, mm-hmm. right? And so how do you help a person manage that and how do you give them the education to say, okay, these are the things that I'm gonna do, just risk tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think part of it is back to the car part of it is understanding yourself to know that when you are shaken up for a lot of people who've experienced really complex trauma especially developmental trauma it will look like oh my god i'm experiencing this really stressing event and then two minutes okay i'm fine i'm gonna go back to work right yeah and until that is really addressed it's gonna be there in the back right in the background just waiting Mm -hmm. and so that's clinical work is with helping you know immigrants or children of immigrants like talk about feelings understand like the generational differences and the cultural expectations that occur and because sometimes developmental trauma for whatever whatever reason happens you know how do you cope with that and how do you help address not feeling or how do you help develop tools so you don't feel like you're going to flood or Mm -hmm. like you said like it's all going to come pouring out yeah right because that's it's possible but it, it, it is best led when someone is guiding you mm. through it. And so if somebody is hearing this and they're like, oh, that's all me. <laughs> that's all, Yeah, all that, all that, Dr. Madeline. What, what is the next step for them? What would they do? Um, these are so individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the next step, I, I would say, would be finding a therapist mm-hmm. and finding a good because you write about how to find a good therapist and what would what do we need to look for? Yeah, so yeah, I have a monthly talk um, that I do on Meetup, and it's free for the public. And what it is, it's a talk where we go through the process. So we talk about practical things because money is a thing. Sure, <laughs> we all have a checkbook, right. I get it. And so we talk about that, and then we also talk about... Um, like what you're looking for. I Mm. think that there's such a wide range of therapists out there um, and different degrees. And I always say that I would look more towards towards experience Mm -hmm. than the letters behind your name. Mm, Okay. I think that there's um, differences. Experience with the issue that you're wanting, experience with a certain population. Like what is the experience that we're looking for? Both. Okay. So I think that having a clinician who who says in their bio, I'm trained to work with um, autism, mm-hmm. right, um, or ADHD. Mm-hmm. That's very different than someone else who you know, may have a, a long a, a PhD and doesn't have experience. Is a that, generalist right? who's just like, yes, I see ADHD in the morning, and then I do couples addiction in the afternoon. Exactly. There's you can't specialize if you're constantly 
shifting and evolving and wearing different skills. Right. And, you know, somebody who specializes like a couples therapist, right, they go to trainings, Mm -hmm. right? They have um, consultation groups. Like it's all focused on a very specific demographic. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's important when you're looking is, I mean, the letters matter and and licenses matter. Sure. But I would say specialty and experience, Mm -hmm. right? And, And part of what I do in the talk is talk about what you discuss in the consultation call, mm-hmm. right? It's like 15, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and you've got to get to know each other. And I always preface it, when, when I receive calls like that, I always say, okay, we're going to talk about this, and the goal at the end of the conversation is to determine if we're a good fit. So, and I like that you're giving the client power on their own life because it can be intimidating because we have, like, a power differential, right? Yeah. We're the ones with the letters behind our name, and it's like if you're not feeling comfortable, maybe you might feel intimidated, like, I'm not allowed to speak about that or I'm not allowed to say, hey, I don't like something that you said or that doesn't resonate with me. You're giving your clients power to, like, participate in the decision. Yes. Um, I'm very – I'm a huge advocate or destigmatizing mental health, and I'm also a huge advocate for decolonizing mental health. Mm-hmm. And part of it is addressing the power differential. Mm-hmm. It's inherent. It's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And um, as somebody who is a huge advocate for like also peer support specialists and recovery-oriented mental health care, I think a big part of it is letting the person make a decision for themselves. And and oftentimes when you go through the, the health system in general, it's like okay, whatever the doctor says, whatever mm-hmm. the doctor says, mm-hmm. and so especially like in like um, immigrant communities, right? It's like, you know, you're the expert, you tell me what to do, right? And it's a very, there's a cultural um, sure. component to that sure. too. So a part of it is having this conversation in the 15 minutes and saying, hey, I want you to ask me questions. What do you need? What are you hoping? I always ask this question sort of like the magic pill question, mm. where it's like, okay, let's say we fast forward to the last session. What do you want to have accomplished? What mm. do you want your life to look differently at the last session? Mm. And so, Part of the talk, just to bring it back to what we're talking about, is we, we go over, like, the practical, and we also go over the, like, preferences, mm-hmm. right? Do you want a therapist who is a person of color or a woman or a man mm-hmm. or a white man, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. or maybe has a history or um, experience within the military, mm-hmm. right? So sure. thinking about these things, and it's all about, as you know, the biggest factor is, like, safety and reliance. So yeah. if you know, like, and trust your therapist, I always say to people, you don't always like your therapist just because they're going to poke and, mm-hmm. like, through the holes and like challenge you but you'll still respect their opinion and you'll understand why they're doing these things mm-hmm. um and so i think that's a big part of it so yeah so i i do host a talk and we go through the different directories that exist there are some low and reduced fee directories out there mm-hmm. that have collected mm-hmm. and then there are some um, others who have um i can't remember what they call like mutual aid mm. right so they pay certain services mm-hmm. for certain populations and so we talk about that and insurance, kind of the more mm-hmm. practical things that they can find. Yeah. Because if we don't have these conversations, there's not a lot of resources. Right. Yeah. And you don't know you don't know. And I realize that you know, being in the system myself, um, on both sides, mm-hmm. I think that part of it is like this power that we have because we have this knowledge and how do we share that. So it feels, dim- so it's demystified mm-hmm. and it feels less tedious and mm-hmm. um, uh, difficult to I'm so grateful that you have that resource available. What else are you working on? You're always busy, got stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, so um, I uh, do have, I have an education business, right? And so 
the education business is really focused on educating predominantly communities of color. Um, you know, I am both Mexican and Filipino American, and my parents immigrated here. So I work with people around education to help them get to the point where they're like, okay, I'm going to call somebody and get therapy. So it's not therapy work. It's helping lead and destigmatize and like hopefully lower the bar so people can get through the door, right? Because there's a high threshold when you don't know what's going on or you don't know how to access it um, and you don't feel empowered to advocate. So I provide a lot of education around that. I also provide education to companies around mental health care, really um, looking at, again, thinking about like how do we break that down um, for yourselves and how do you create like your own personal user's manual and so more general knowledge there um, I also do spiritual work mm -hmm. so a lot of my work is around decolonized mental health care right so it's looking at the um, oppressive systems that can exist within mental health care system and also um, the growing body of research around like liberation psychology which has been around for a long time um, and um, decolonizing mental health and looking at more of spiritual practices. So my education business also includes spiritual work um, and looking at it from a very spiritual perspective. Part of um, me personally is I want to advocate for communities and I want to and I want to acknowledge that sometimes when somebody goes to somebody for spiritual help, they're very they, they may be vulnerable. They yeah. may be feeling like I just want some help. Right. And unfortunately in some communities they can be taken advantage of. So a there's a power differential again. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, if someone says to you, okay, well, if you give me two hundred more dollars, I can take away this pain. A lot of my education is like, no, no, no. Let's let's talk about mm -hmm. what's possible and like what we have, what is exploitation. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my work is helping educate people around like spiritual practices mm -hmm. and spiritual medicine. So we're not appropriating mm -hmm. and we're not extracting, right? So there's a lot of popularity in within um, the spiritual community. We're in San Diego. It's mm -hmm. really really mm -hmm. huge, mm -hmm. but not everybody's respectful of medicine. So it's spirit. I believe that everything has a spirit and has a life to it. How do we walk in our lives in um, right relationship with what we're, what we're doing, how we're doing it, right? How do we walk ethically? And so a lot of my work is, I do spiritual work, but I also do education around spiritual work. You know, I've had people approach me and they said, oh, I'm going to this person, and they're going to help me with this pain that I'm feeling. I'm like, maybe for the day, because you're feeling seen and connected and heard. But, you know, and I told this person, I'm like, I feel like you're really struggling with grief. Mm. Maybe going to a therapist too. Yeah. Right, to help you with the grief because no one can take away. The quick fix. Yeah, there's no quick fix. Yeah. And I think, and, and a lot of indigenous teachers know that. Um, they all know that. And I think that's when the, it becomes problematic, when it becomes diluted and mech and packaged. Um, so my work is around advocacy of like, okay, you go to the curandera, go to whomever you feel like you want to go to, and you know, be wise about it, right? And be respectful and see how they are in good relationship with the work that they're doing. Mm, beautiful. I'm, I'm so grateful to get to hear you talk about the things that you're passionate about because you just really come alive and your <laughs> energy and your spirit is really very very present and it's such a nice experience to get to be around you so oh, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast tell our listeners how they can find you if they want to reach out to you oh sure um so my instagram is mofina m-o-f as in frank i-n-a 
at dot wellness and my website is mofina m-o-f-i-n-a dot net and there you can find me in both spaces and um and you can find the links to all the events that i do and we will put the links in the show notes. So welcome, my friend, for what hopefully is the beginning of many more visits with you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for tuning into The D-Spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil, and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.